Hey, it's Celine, and you're listening to episode two of Star Peace, Non-Aggressive Negotiations in a Galaxy Far, Far Away. And this month, I have on Alex Kane, a freelance writer and author of the nonfiction book, Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad that you said yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, first, can you tell us a little bit about your freelance writing? Freelance writing. Um, I've been doing sort of uh, freelance games journalism since like uh, April 2016 or so. Um, you know, I've written for Rolling Stones Gaming Vertical that they used to have, uh, which was Glixel.com at one point. Um, and then, you know, I've written about like Star Wars games for StarWars.com. I've covered E3s for like Variety. And, um, you know, I've, I've done some some big like cover stories for Polygon and things like that. And lately I've been kind of uh, covering Bethesda games specifically for Forbes and then um, doing some Halo stuff for for Games Radar and uh, various various other stories. So kind of all over the place, you know. Um, but it's been good. It's good fun. I, I kind of got addicted to video games in like 2015. That was like the year that I, uh, I, you know, I had been freelancing for, for a little while and, and all these great video games started coming out and mainly, uh, destiny one came out and just kind of, uh, I was like, okay, I'm a freelancer who can't stop playing games. So, uh, let's figure this thing out before, uh, you know, before I wreck myself or whatever. And, uh, so games journalism was kind of the the solution to those, those two things. Is it, is there a big difference in how you write gaming articles versus things in other franchises? Um, I don't think so. I mean, like if I was gonna, you know, I've done sort of, um, story related things for like starwars.com or I've done, uh, you know, a lot of sort of interviews and profiles and things like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, those aren't always the same type of thing. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, a game series that I'm not actually that familiar with, but it's an editor or a publication that I really like writing for. And they're like, hey, Alex, do you want to write about this game? And uh, in my head, I'm like, oh, I don't actually know the first thing about <laughs> Samurai Showdown or whatever. But if it's a it's an opportunity to, you know, learn something or interview someone cool, then I'll just say yes, because, you know. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to challenge myself. I'm, and I'm going to, most importantly, I'm going to get paid for it. So, um, you know, and, and so the, you know, that's a good, like sort of growing moment, but, um, yeah, a lot of people sort of come to me when they, they want an article about like the halo series or star Wars video games, especially, you know, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not that different. Is uh, it difficult to write about, games that you're either not familiar with or didn't enjoy too much didn't enjoy that's interesting yeah i don't know i mean a lot of it i tend to get excited about like working on you know it's like okay you know i i'm very fortunate to pay my rent by writing about video games you know like that's the coolness of that is not lost on me yet so um when I'm, you know, asked to write about a video game that, you know, is not really on my radar yet or is like something that I'm aware of, but, you know, not necessarily like eager to, to play and buy, you know, generally I'll go into a project thinking like, oh, this is going to be a drag. This is going to kind of suck. Um, and then I'll work on the article, do the research, play the game and, uh, 
usually end up having some kind of fun with it. Like I'll find some kind of in, you know? Um, so yeah, there are, there are genres of video game that I'm just always going to kind of suck at. Um, Mm -hmm. because my eyesight is trash and I'm, you know, I'm 30. So my reaction time is not what it was when I was playing halo at 14 or whatever. So, um, you know, there, there are certain things that, you know, I'm really good at like first person shooters or, you know, pretty average first person shooters. And then I, I sort of like my quiet, meditative, easy games on the side of that. You know, I love racing games. I think fighting games are awesome. Uh, I generally kind of suck at those though. You know, it's like, I love, I love playing them, but, um, you know, I'm not going to beat anybody who's good at mortal Kombat playing mortal Kombat, but I, you know, I'll have fun and respect it and enjoy losing, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think hopefully that answers the question. That's kind of all over the place, but no, yeah, it was a good answer. Um, cause I want to talk about like, like all of your interests, not just star Wars, even though it's like a mainly star Wars podcast. I, sure. I feel like everyone has their own fandoms and I think it's interesting to figure out like what makes you, you in your like entertainment yeah. life. Because you said that, I mean, you're into gaming. You also are a big fan of, like, films and comic books. And I want to know, like, more about what you enjoy and how those interests started for you. Like, how did you get into this? Sure. So, I mean, I guess, you know, going back when I was, like, a really young kid, okay? Like, going back as far as my memory will not fail me, uh, I was into, like, robots, right? Okay, so it starts, like, there. Um, you know, being a kid, toy robots, like I thought that was the most like fascinating thing in the world. Um, you know, like short circuit, uh, batteries not included, like those mm-hmm. movies, um, the old 1986 animated transformers movie with like Leonard Nimoy and Orson Welles oh, yeah. and, <laughs> uh, Eric Idle, uh, Judd Nelson. Like I love that movie so much. And so Star Wars really, when I was like five, six years old, it wasn't like Star Wars is this important thing that everybody knows about. It was like I went to the video store and it's like, well, there's robots on that cover, too. So, you know what I mean? It was like it's like I'm going to check this out because I was just renting any movie with a robot on the cover. My mom knew I would like it. I knew I would like it. You know, I I was part of the generation that. You know, I'd rent like robot jocks and or or, yeah, robot jocks and robo wars, all those like sort of trashy B movies about giant robots punching each other, you know, years before Pacific Rim. Um, So, yeah, like that's how I kind of got to Star Wars was like R2-D2 and C-3PO. And then I also was very much of the generation like being born in like 89. So. Uh, things like Batman, the animated series, you know, that was mm-hmm. like, you know, another huge chunk of my childhood was like those uh, early 90s animated superhero cartoons, some of which have really held up well and some of which have held up less well. But like, uh, oh, you know, Batman, that one definitely did. Yeah, yeah. That's the one that's just like it's still kind of uh, in a league of its own. And then. Um, you know, there was the Spider-Man animated cartoon. I was a huge fan of that. Um, so everything kind of grows organically out of like what I saw when I was a kid, what I was exposed to, you know, at age five, you know, Power Rangers. Um, 
there was sort of like that anime renaissance that happened like the tsunami, you know, I was like one of the tsunami kids when I was like 11 years old, 10 years old, we had like, you know, Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, mm-hmm. Gundam wing, all that stuff kind of like crashed like a meteor into like us culture, you know, it's like <laughs> the, uh, you know, nowadays it's like every, you know, people your age and younger, they, they are just like, drowning and pokemon and naruto and all the other stuff that i don't really you know can't even name off the top of my head but like that stuff is everywhere now and it kind of started when i was very impressionable when i was like watching the phantom menace on vhs was a lot you know when all that stuff kind of showed up and uh yeah yeah i i I know that i've i've watched every single episode of dragon ball dragon ball z but I watched them when I was a kid, yeah. so I don't even remember like half of what happened. Need to rewatch them. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I saw a good chunk of Dragon Ball. I, I never really saw any of GT, um, but I watched like all of Dragon Ball Z and just like loved every minute of it as a kid. I think now it's kind of painful. You kind of want to watch like the abridged parody version on YouTube instead at this point, you know, to skip all the kind of uh, filler where it's just dramatic music playing and their hair waving in the wind. But, uh, I mean, I, I love that stuff. I love the art. I love the characters. Um, yeah. I, I mean, when I was a kid, super, but go ahead. Sorry. When I was a kid, we would like, we would go outside, like play with the neighbors and we would like act out movies. Like we would act out alien. We would act out scenes mm-hmm. from dragon ball. We'd do stuff yes. with our Pokemon cards. Yes, I did a lot of that, and it was primarily like Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, maybe a little Pokemon, little Star Wars, I guess. Um, yeah, mainly like Dragon Ball. Yeah. When did you start uh, reading comic books? So that was the thing that happened in college, kind of. Uh, let me think. So, so we had Walden books, which you know were like all over the country, like Borders before you know uh, all the bookstores went bankrupt. But so, um, I grew up with this Walden books in my local mall, which we don't have a local mall anymore. So you know, <laughs> first the bookstore went, and then the mall went. But mm. uh, you know. Um, I started sort of buying Star Wars comics to collect them because they had, well, they, they did the Knights of the Old Republic series by, you know, John Jackson Miller and just the covers were insanely cool to look at. So before I even like kind of thought of myself as like, oh, maybe I should start reading comic books. You know, I was buying them for the the cover art, you know, Uh, that sounds silly to me now, but uh, that's what happened. And then that Walden book sort of abruptly went out of business like a year after I started doing that or six months after I started collecting those, you know? Um, and at the time I thought maybe I'd try to become a comics artist actually back in like 2008, 2009. I was like, I'm probably going to be an artist. I'm not going to keep going on this writing thing. (laughs) Uh, well I did, you know, I did a decade 15, you know, yeah, I did, you know, a decade plus ago. Yeah. Um, I'm, can't really do it anymore you kind of like lose the skill if you don't practice it unfortunately but uh, I used to have a lot of fun with it and uh, yeah so so that bookstore went out of business and then from like 2009 to 2017 or 18 we had another bookstore that opened up and the guy who ran it was really cool he uh, he had good taste in story stuff you know we kind of got along really well and when he opened the store he didn't have any dark horse stuff yet so, uh, 
sorry, I'm talking a lot here, but this is, I, I am. So, so, you know, he, he didn't have any star Wars comics. So it was like, I'm here to support the store. I'm excited that I've got a bookstore. And he's like, well, you know, I recommend this, this, and this, you know, in the superhero stuff. And, uh, turns out he was really good at recommending things. So he got to know my tastes really well. And, um, you know, he sold me, he kind of sold me a lot of comics that way. Just kind of saying like, if you loved this, you would also love, you know, this and this. And, um, so at that point I started reading Batman pretty heavily and, uh, you know, that was sort of circa 2011 when they did the new 52 reboot, uh, which was really nice for somebody who was kind of trying to get into comics. And so, um, I got really swept up and read like every issue of, uh, the Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, Batman run that went, you know, for several years, like really just probably like five years of just insane, like perfect Batman stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so you're, you're so, more yeah. DC than a Marvel. Well, I don't know. I like, I don't know if I'd say that now I was like in the beginning and then, uh, there was sort of a pivot point where, um, I mean, let's be honest, like th- those movies coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they kind of get you in like a mood, like, you know, I'm, I've been reading some like Harley Quinn stuff just because I liked birds of prey and wanted more of, you know, her and those, you know, uh, you know, poison Ivy and like all those great yes. characters. So, so it's kind of like, you know, you just bounce around, uh, you know, like I'll go through a phase where. I watch what we do in the shadows on TV and I'm like, I just want to devour like vampire crap, you know? (laughs) So, um, uh, you know, I would do that with Iron Man comics or, um, Spidey stuff. I mean, superior Spider-Man, um, by Dan Slott was a huge, like sort of gateway into Marvel for me. I don't remember that must've been like 2014, 2013. Um, that was a great series that, kind of got me to cross over from DC and start reading Marvel instead. Uh, and now I mostly just read star Wars and then non superhero stuff kind of lately, but okay, some all over the place, but, uh, yeah, that's how my reading habits are. If I'm being honest, I, I'm just whatever I feel like reading and it ends up being very eclectic. That's, that's pretty cool. Actually, a lot of people stick to one thing, but there's, there's a lot of, like, I like looking at different indie comics that like, most people just wouldn't even look at. And some of them are way better than, like, the ones that are really, really popular. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like, the, the, the caliber of the writing is just, like, incredible on some stuff. I mean, like, Joe Hill uh, is, like, a big, you know, New York Times bestselling writer now. And, you know, he's got, like, these TV series made out of his novels and stuff. But, um you know, back when like lock and key would have started. I mean, I don't think anybody really knew who he was back in, you know, 2008 or nine. And, uh, and now that's a Netflix series. But when I read that comic, it was like, you know, I just felt like it was head and shoulders above like any other comic that I'd ever read at that point. Um, with some, maybe some exceptions, but yeah, like there's some really like exceptional writing out there for sure. Um, one of my favorite comics is like a little, um, I think it was like eight issues, called the wake 
and that was Scott Snyder. So, I mean, it's Batman. It's very mainstream. You know, I mean, it's the guy who did Batman. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not like he's a nobody indie guy, you know, scraping along. But, uh, you know, he wrote this little side project about like killer mermaids or whatever. (laughs) And uh, Oh, that sounds cool, actually. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite comics easily. Um, Yeah. Whenever people are like, what would you want to see made into a movie? I'm like, oh, the way cans down, like killer mermaid science fiction like absolutely post-apocalyptic killer mermaids all day (laughs) i don't know it's really good so what was your gaming experience like because i know that you know recently you've been doing the bethesda and halo and before you were really big into knights of the old republic what was your journey through like video games uh, I mean, there was like starts and stops along the year, mm-hmm. like along the way. So um, when I was very, very young, like me and my dad would like take turns passing the controller back and forth. And like the first game that I ever completed, you know, with the caveat that my dad played 50 percent of it was uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, which is like, you know, some people would say that's one of the best games ever made. You know, it still holds up. It's incredible. Um mm-hmm. The N64 came out when I was like, I don't know, seven years old or something. So we got one of those pretty early and got Super Mario 64. We got Star Fox, GoldenEye, a lot of those sort of like the the games that kind of defined the early 3D era, at least on the Nintendo side of things. Um, And those, I mean, you know. I can't shut up about those even today stuff like Star Fox 64. Um, I think, you know, they still are works of art that, you know, the soundtracks hold up really well. I mean, there's like a whole like sub genre of music dedicated to kind of like paying tribute to, to N64 music, like uh, the Ocarina of Time soundtrack, the, you know, Mario 64 stuff. So, Um, yeah, that's an obsession that never really left me. Um, when the, I had a Game Boy, you know, I went through the, the Pokemon red phase. Um, what else? So, um, I think like the big sort of, um, watershed moment for me as somebody who's like, okay, uh, you know, if Nintendo and Pokemon is sort of kid stuff, you know, when I was like <laughs> whatever age I was, 12 or 13, like like 11 or 12, um, when the Xbox came along, it was like, oh, you know, I'm actually maybe I'm in this for life because Halo came along and it was like it was like almost up to par with, you know, it, it didn't have as much dialogue and as much sort of, uh, you know, characters interacting as you would get from like a movie. But at the time it sure felt like, you know, aliens or the empire strikes back, you know, except you get to, you get to be the hero, you know? So, um, that, that game was pretty, pretty big for me. Um, it just, it looked and played and performed better than, than a lot of pretty much any console game that I'd ever seen at that point. Um, and it was just, Uh, like a sandbox you could fool around in, you know, forever and ever without stopping and it never got boring. And, uh, then, then came along games like Morrowind, um, games like Knights of the Republic, um, the Splinter Cell series. Was that the first Star Wars game you played? 
I would have played, I played uh, Shadows of the Empire was my first Star Wars okay. game, I believe. So that would have been like 1996, 1997, right around the time when, just before probably the special editions came out. So it was like, um, you know, I had friends in grade school, who, you know, they were all up, they had older brothers who, you know, yeah, they knew what Star Wars was. They knew it mattered. They knew it was a big deal. You know, to me, I was like, oh yeah, you know. I've seen bits and pieces of them on VHS. Maybe, you know, I, I rented them for the droid content. You know? And, uh, so yeah, I played shadows of the empire and then I saw like empire strikes back and return of the Jedi in 1997, uh, with my dad. And yeah, I mean, empire strikes back at like age seven on a big screen or, or age eight, maybe eight or seven or eight, you know, that just kind of blew my mind. Um, so then, yeah, like Shadows of the Empire wasn't a huge deal for me as a kid, but it was probably the first one. I think uh, Episode One Racer was a really, really big deal at the time. You know, The Phantom Menace came out, and like the you couldn't escape the merchandising. Like mm. if you went, you went to Pizza Hut, you know, it was there. <laughs> you know, um, even even now, there's still so much Episode One merchandise in vintage stores. Yeah, yeah, like it's everywhere because they just made so much of it. Yeah, it was just everywhere. Um, there was a lot of like Padme merch, um, even stuff, you know, marketed toward, you know, young girls in a way that almost like even better than it is today in, in some ways. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they they had like all kinds of dolls. Um, I don't know, you, you probably... You you were born like around the time of the Phantom Menace, right? So yeah, something like that. Little so before. You, little before. So yeah. So um, a lot of this stuff I only know in retrospect myself. But like, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there was just so much stuff, and and I was very into Darth Maul. So um, the next sort of big era that I got into Star Wars video games would have been like um, I got my Xbox in like early two thousand two. Uh, give or take and got um, the Obi-Wan video game and people either don't have never heard of Obi-Wan or they love it. Okay. You've never heard of it. Yeah. So, so if you've heard of it, it's like your favorite thing ever, or you've likely just never heard of it for a lot of people because it was only on Xbox. Um, There was like a Game Boy version, but I mean, that's like a different game, you know, completely. Mm -hmm. So uh, that just happened to have like Obi-Wan's name in the title. So yeah, it was it was kind of it was like an in-house, I believe, like LucasArts team made that game. It was sort of um, it started off as like one kind of game and then they shifted gears and made it like an Xbox exclusive instead, I believe. Um, so it was kind of like a messy development, but and it got it came out, you know, way after the Phantom Menace. But it's basically like a Phantom Menace game from Obi-Wan's point of view with like some prologue content you know sort of like leading up to the phantom menace before you actually get to the the meaty part like the movie bits oh wow and um yeah you just got it's like a fantasy of being obi-wan kenobi you know (laughs) so i i love that game to this day it's really cool and and um it had like a a 2v you know 1v1 um split screen like lightsaber duel mode so like I'd tell my brother like, Hey, you, you have to come up and play lightsabers with me, you know, play, you know, Obi-Wan with me for a couple games, please. You know, (laughs) you know, and then I, uh, you know, totally destroy him (laughs) because he was like, you know, a (laughs) tiny kid at that point, but he, you know, he loved playing Xbox with me. So, uh, we played a lot of that. And then Jedi outcast was another one where like, you know, I'd be like, Derek, you got to come play 
uh, lightsaber mode. Um, and, and we would have a lot of fun, like jumping around the sort of like death star hangar bay and, and slashing each other with lightsabers. Um, revenge of the Sith was another game that, um, is kind of forgotten to a degree, but you know, it was really cool. I have played that one, but I played the, uh, the game boy version. Oh, okay, cool. Which was very bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would be like a lot of the same ideas, but sort of like a completely different. It would be like 2D, basically, right, at that time. Yeah, the, and the mechanics, I mean, you could, the mechanics were just so bad. They were so raw. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't even think I finished it. I couldn't get through it. I felt so bad. Yeah, it was probably like a sort of hack and slash, like uh, like a beat 'em up style game. Maybe I don't know. I'll have to look that up. I've never actually seen gameplay from the Game Boy version, but yeah, I basically I remember that only was... remember the. It was like the beginning of the game where you were going and like just cutting down battle droids in that station. I think it was when they were rescuing Palpatine. Yeah, and I don't think I ever got past that. So. Yeah, that, I mean, that was the era when when I really, like, sort of got into, like, Star Wars games specifically. And mm-hmm. um, there were so many of them at that time. Like, 2002 through 2005, give or take, was, like, sort of the golden age of, like, there being a lot of Star Wars games and also, like, an uncommon percentage of them being, like, really kick-ass. You know what I mean? So, uh yeah. About yeah, 2002 to 2005, give or take, and then 2008 if you include uh, the first Force Unleashed game, which yeah, I tend to mark as like you know um, the last of the really great LucasArts Star Wars games. Um, and yeah, I, I love that kind of stuff, you know, where it's like that sort of Jedi fantasy that that you know they again brought back and marketed like Fallen Order around that idea. Yeah, I think that the first Lego Star Wars game was in 2005. Yeah, that sounds right. Like, yeah, they they did like a couple, like one right after another, like maybe 2004 was like the original. Tri- no, that's I got that backwards. It was like, yeah, 2004, 2005, they did like the prequels, maybe. And then like the year after that, they did the originals, I think. Yeah, I the, think so. I think they, they did, did the prequels first because it was that era. Yeah, yeah. Maybe 2005 for the prequels. That sounds right. Yeah. It had like episode three kind of box art, I want to say. Mm. I played a lot of that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Those games, like, um, uh, like it's taken me a long time to kind of appreciate them. I sort of like dis- dismissed them for a long time. And I, I think the Force, uh, Force Awakens game from 2016 maybe is like finally where I kind of I kind of see the appeal now probably because they have voiceover. And so it's like a little bit more incentive for me to, to play it. And it's like, okay, I don't know. I I really like the force awakens one a lot. I haven't played that one. I was waiting for everything to come out so I could get like a complete saga again. Yeah. Cause I know that they will. (laughs) Yeah. Sometime what this year or next year. I mean, who knows with coronavirus, everything is getting canceled, but uh, (laughs) you know, video games seem to be doing okay. Cause a lot of that work can be done remotely. Yeah, yeah. I think I think Animal Crossing is gonna have a pretty good day next week. Oh, as yeah, far I have as sales go. Yeah, yeah. I got Doom Eternal already installed for the same day. I uh, I might get Animal Crossing. I haven't decided, but 
I just need something nice right now. Yeah, yeah, something nice and, and calm. Yeah, I, I hear you. But yeah, we, we've got the, the Skywalker Saga Lego game coming out mm-hmm. at some point really soon. And yeah, it'll be fun to get to play as yeah all those characters i mean god like nine movies worth of great characters so yeah i just remember because that was more my my childhood so i would go over to my friend's house and we'd have like six of us and we'd all be in like my friend's basement and then like all together while we were playing that game on his tv nice it, it was fun yeah i i always have I've had like a long history with video games because I yeah. just I never stopped and I grew up with my grandparents so I had all of my parents and my uncle's old consoles and all of their old games and so I actually grew up playing their stuff before I ever got stuff of my own so I kind of ended up playing it in the actual like orders that they came out nice nice which like is what unusual consoles? um we had um do you know that old Sega Game Gear? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That was my first one, which looking back is really bad because like there's no light on that screen. None at all. You have to be in the exact right lighting to be able to see what you're doing. Um but I used to play the Sonic game on that all the time. Yeah. And then I played on the NES and the SNES a lot. And then I played a lot of PC games. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. And then I started buying, like, Game Boy Colors, and then I went to DS and the Wii. I'd play on my friends' consoles, like GameCube and stuff. Nice. Were were you into, like, the whole Pokemon craze, or was that, like, a little before your time? Oh, yeah. No. Um, I've still never played, like, Red or Blue. Okay. Um, I started with silver and then my favorite, the one that I've played countless times is Sapphire. And I I think that's like the best one that's ever come out. Yeah. I had Ruby and it was really, really good. I I think there's an argument to be made for, for silver being one of the best too. I think that was a pretty, pretty insanely good game. Yeah. It was like red, but twice as long. I don't know. It was really long. I, I wanted to finish it, but um, the one that I had, like, the cartridge was broken. And oh, no. so every time I'd get to, like, a certain spot, it would just start me over. Mm. Um, I never replaced it, but I've always been meaning to. Yeah, those cartridges but, were weird. They had, like, a battery for, like, the memory and stuff, right? Yeah, it was... I don't know what what happened to it, but... Um, yeah, Pokemon was a big thing for me. Um, but it was like Pokemon and Sonic and Mario. That's like what I started out with. Yeah. And then I, I just really, really love 8-bit games. Like I will play any 8-bit game. Like Stardew, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have that. Um, I just, I don't know what it is about that style, but my favorite game growing up was... It was Quest for Camelot. It was based on that animated movie that didn't do very well. Mm. Um, Rings I, most bell. people, most people haven't watched it and like vaguely have heard about it. But I loved the game. It was like you you play as I don't know if you're you're like a knight's daughter, 
and you have to go out and you have to defeat these bosses there's this witch that you have to fight and you're trying to save your father and you just like go out through all the land and try to find him piece together basically you're saving the kingdom but it was i played that game so many times (laughs) are we talking nes that one was on i think it was on the game boy advance or game boy color oh okay yeah i played my game boy probably more than anything that was that was my like big console once i finally got a handheld yeah, the, the Game Boy Color and the Game Boy Advance were like some crazy good eras for just like these huge game catalogs that kind of like pleased everybody and just tons of stuff to play. Yeah. Yeah, I think that people treat Nintendo as kind of like a niche thing now. Like, like it's somehow less mature than like PlayStation and Xbox games and you only like play them for nostalgia. Yeah. I feel like that's how a lot of people view it. I bought a 3DS or got it as a gift for my wife. It was girlfriend at the time, I think in like 2013. And it was purely like a nostalgia thing to play like Ocarina and whatever else Mm -hmm. came out. And, um, but then like the Wii U came along and when I first went freelance, I like used my first like big check to buy a Wii U. And, and I was really like struck by how, like nobody really cared about that console or like not at least, you know, in the public perception, like the consensus was that the Wii U was just like garbage and didn't have any games, but actually like it was, what was on, it was pretty great as far as like the, the virtual console stuff that, you know, like the old games that they, you could emulate and, Mm -hmm. um, the wind waker HD remake was the reason I bought the console and it was worth every penny (laughs) to me at the time. Uh, you know, I, uh, I was more of a Wii person, so I could never quite get behind the Wii U because I just liked my Wii too much. But yeah. the the virtual console was great for for the mm-hmm. Wii and for the 3DS, and now they're trying to move all that over to the Switch. But yeah. I I was just really excited. I I couldn't get over the fact that you could just like move your arm and like that's what the character would do. Yeah, I'd never really spent enough time with it to get into like the the meteor like Zelda Skyward Sword type games. Um but I you know, I watched a friend play like Mario Galaxy um and that was really cool. Um I I liked just like the Wii like Wii Tennis, you know. Wii Tennis mm-hmm. was incredible. <laughs> yeah. I think Wii Golf was pretty cool if I remember right. I don't know. I barely remember the golf one, but uh yeah, yeah, Wii Tennis was kind of like a, a flawless sort of uh, completely sold me on the concept of the nunchucks, even though I never actually owned them, you know? That's the console that I played uh, Star Wars The Force Unleashed on, and I loved it on that. I played through the whole game. So did it feel like when you moved the nunchuck, like the lightsaber tracked it pretty well? or I I thought it was perfect. Like, all of really? the battles were... I think it's really underrated on that console. I know a lot of people, um, they played it on like Xbox, but I don't know if it's Xbox or PlayStation or both, but I played it on the Wii and it was great. Cool. Yeah. Like the 360 was really like dominant at that time because it just had this insane catalog of games. But, uh, 
Yeah, if the if the nunchuck controls were good on the Wii, yeah, I'm sure that that game would have been an amazing one to play on it. Yeah, I love that game. It's it's still one of my favorites. I like that's what I was hoping for when Jedi Fallen Order came out. I'm just like, just let it be like the Force Unleashed, and I'll be happy. So, have you gotten a chance to spend time with Fallen Order, or? Um, I've played it a tiny bit. I got really distracted in December with all of the Rise of Skywalker stuff. And so I haven't finished it yet. But I mean, what I have played so far, I've loved. You can explore so much. Yeah. It's very much like a great game that happens to be about a lightsaber and stuff. You know, it's like, uh, it's really easy to make a crappy game and slap the Star Wars license on it. And like, mm-hmm. thank, thank God they didn't do that. They actually made like a great game with like a lot of, you know, a lot of very impressive systems and like gorgeous environments. And the characters, like the story is pretty fantastic. It's sort of like Rebels and Last Jedi lumped together into one with like, you know, new faces, like some gender swapping, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had we've had a lot of not so great Star Wars games. Not going to lie. But yeah. um you know, I was I was in GameStop the other day and this guy was talking about Fallen Order and he was like like recommending it to people saying how good it is. Had never watched Star Wars. Oh yeah, nice, nice. And like that that means that it's a good game. Yeah, it's like um like Marie Claire from what the force and a lot of people have this sort of uh, this way of looking at star Wars where like um, it's sort of iterative where they're sort of telling the same story through different like prisms over and over. Mm -hmm. And like, I think that's a pretty valid way of looking at it and, and fallen order. You can really play that game and and, like it, it is like sort of telling the story of the last Jedi, the story of rebels, the story of uh, Revenge of the Sith, like in a new, fresh way and, and kind of, uh, yeah, in a way that I think somebody could just play that and like it could turn them into a Star Wars fan or they could just be, you know, a fallen. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are like, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but yeah, Fallen Order fan. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I really dig like the characters that they chose for that. I um, think that they captured the essence of like the Star Wars mythology very well. Mm hmm. And that's not, it hasn't, I don't think that's been done in the game before. It was done very well. Yeah, yeah. It's like so many of these creators, you know, I mean, Disney is now like the sort of um, caretaker of this thing that, uh, you know, one sort of uh, California hippie nerd dreamt up many years ago, right? And uh, and it's like you kind of have to like try your best to understand it the way he did if you want it to, to feel like a new hope or whatever. And, and, uh, the, you know, everybody sort of fails brilliantly and that's how we get things like, uh, the last Jedi or Dave Filoni's work or, you know, any of the amazing stuff that we have now that we love so much, Mm -hmm. like it's just kind of like people trying to think like George Lucas and kind of putting their own sort of, uh, self into it. And, um, yeah, I think Fallen Order, they really went for that, and, and uh, it feels very much like its own thing. It doesn't feel like a clone of the Jedi Knight series with Kyle Katarn. It doesn't feel like a KOTOR ripoff or, you know, what have you. It's, like, very much its own unique thing, which they were selling it that way. And, um, 
you know, when I interviewed Vince Sampella at Celebration, you know, that's how he talked about it. And you hear those things and it's like, yeah, I don't really buy it. I'll believe it when I see it. But no, it it is 100% like its own fresh take on, on Star Wars in a lot of ways. Like, uh, you know, there's sort of like... Um, like hip hop music in it, you know, uh, there's, there, you know, there's, uh, like just all these cool, like alien characters, you know, there's, uh, you, you get the big, like, um, well, I don't want to be spoilery, but yeah, I mean, they, they do a lot of cool things that, that manage to feel like star Wars that at a glance, you know, it's not obvious that, you know, Oh, they're ripping off that thing from the empire strikes back the way all right. those other video games did. No, it's not like that at all. So, you know, it's kind of like that, that Dave Filoni touch where it's like, <laughs> it's like this barely feels like Star Wars. And also it's maybe my favorite, you know, like some of the things Filoni has done in like Rebels or whatever, you know, all the people who worked on Rebels, uh-huh. like, you know, they took risks and they did weird, weird stuff. And um, I think that's how you get like good new star wars stories right i mean yeah because i mean new weird stuff is is what george excelled at (laughs) yeah i mean the empire strikes back like i can only imagine what that must be like you know if you're if it's 1980 and you've seen a new hope and nothing else and you go into that movie like kind of expecting more of the same and it's like you know i'm your father and (laughs) <laughs> you know dismemberments and the weird force cave on Dagobah and then it was very you know, subversive yeah yeah I, I imagine it would have been pretty mind-blowing and and then you know things like just like Leia Leia's my sister it's like okay you know I guess uh <laughs> you know that you know we're still doing stuff like that now of course with the uh, Ray and and various controversial choices being made yeah, but yeah. um yeah so I mean, I think risk taking is is part of that that world, and and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But um, I would rather they take risks than not. I think like the Marvel comics are really interesting in that regard. Um, so you know. I can't have you on and not talk about Kotor. <laughs> oh sure, sure. So I I've only played a tiny little bit of it, so basically I know nothing. Um, what, what is it that makes that so special? Like what, what made you want to write a whole book on it? Gosh. So I pitched that book in like 2016. Okay. So for, for context, I pitched that book in like May of 2016 and spent like two years sort of fiddling with you know, like I wrote like a draft that like the, most of it went in the trash, you know, um, the scene in little women where, you know, the novel gets lit mm-hmm. on fire. Like that's supposed to be like a horrifying thing. It's like, Oh no, how could you? But, uh, you know, I watched that scene and I'm just like, she did her a big favor there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, it's going to be much better after that, you know, burn away the whole first draft. Um, you know, that's basically what I did. Um, I think that, you know, I was, what, 13, probably, give or take, when that game came out. Um, and and we're seeing this happen now, okay? So a lot of what KOTOR felt like back in 2002, 2003, when it was sort of being hyped up, it felt very weird and different and ugly and unrecognizable in some ways. And we're seeing this with the High Republic stuff right now. And it's it's really got me excited because, 
I remember like looking at the concept art on like the LucasArts website and being like, mm-hmm. what are, what are they doing? Like <laughs> what? 4,000 years before the movies? This is, why would they do this? And then of course, like it's my favorite Star Wars game um, because it's a lot it, of people's favorite. Yeah. Um, like that, that part of the fandom is still really strong, like stronger than the mm-hmm. EU fandom for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's EU fans and there's EU fans who are like, I play the Old Republic MMO and I read like the Old Republic tie-in stuff, but I don't really care about, you know, the sort of post-Return of the Jedi stuff necessarily. Um, yeah, I know people who they, they care a lot about like sort of the Sith Empire and all that. Um, and that all grew from that first KOTOR game and, and various like dark horse comics from like the early nineties, give or take. Um, yeah. Um, so it was, it was just very fresh and different. I, you know, I think the fact that it, it was, it was marketed as an RPG in the star Wars universe and it looked very weird and kind of risky. Um, it was one of those things that like the cover art was great. Like the concept art was beautiful, although it didn't really look like star Wars. Like I said, you know, it's kind of like high Republic stuff. Now you look at it and it's like, Oh, it kind of just looks like every other science fiction thing. It doesn't really feel like star Wars, but then, you know, you get there and you get on the planet and, and see the story beats playing out. It's like, okay, no, this is way more familiar than I thought I might be. Um, and you get to have the fantasy of, being kind of a nobody rank and file soldier in like the Republic Navy or whatever. Um, and then you get taken to a, a planet where there's a Jedi temple and there's master Vandar is a little, um, you know, Yoda, you know, he was the original baby Yoda, you know, like the, mm-hmm. uh, Yoda lookalike voiced by Tom Kane, you know, um, and, and and get to be told that, you know, actually you're very powerful in the force and you share a, a strong bond with Bastila, you know, who has a yellow lightsaber, by the way. You know, a lot of people kind of predicted the yellow lightsaber four years ago because when they saw Ray with the staff, they're like, well, Bastila has, mm-hmm. you know, a double bladed lightsaber that's yellow. So, I mean, I wish we'd gotten that. <laughs> yeah. Like the two sides. Yeah. 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 And maybe we'll get that in the future in like some kind of uh, future story. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely was on the side of the team. The people saying like Ray is going to end up with a yellow lightsaber. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm happy that to be right about that. I would have been like to I would have liked to have been right about more than that. But mm-hmm. uh, um, yeah, I mean. It had that very crazy, like, Empire Strikes Back twist, you know? Except instead of I Am Your Father, it's uh, it's uniquely video gamey in a way that most people know the twist by now, but I guess I won't say it right now. Because... Oh, no, you can. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like, it's just like you're, you're sort of like the old, uh, you know, Dark Lord of the Sith. So, like, the old... Uh, snoke emperor figure like this terrifying sith lord darth revan who uh you know um all the mandalorians were terrified of and so forth like you find out that was you and then um basically your your apprentice betrayed you and and shot you down um and so bastila was a jedi who was sent to kind of capture him and so or her or them you know uh, you get to kind of pick 
you get to make the character. That's the beauty of it. Um, and so when she like uses the force to heal you and save your life, you know, uh, it, that creates the, the force bond. So it's like, you know, Ray healing, mm-hmm. you know, Kylo or Kylo healing Ray, you know, that's sort of a callback in some way, arguably. Um, but I didn't it's sort know of, that. yeah, it's sort of like that moment creates the dyad. If you want to call it that, I mean, Ray, uh, Revan and Bastila is not a one-to-one exact thing, but they, mm-hmm. they share the force bond and they do, she did heal him like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of parallels, and people have seen those parallels since 2015, you know, with uh, Kylo's mask looking like Revan and kind of the... I remember hearing that a lot when they first released pictures of him. Yeah, and when I saw Kylo's mask for the first time, I was like, holy, like, amazing. Like, he looks so Revan. I just love it. And, um, you know, when I interviewed, like, people who worked on the game for the book, like, you know, some of them were like yeah, I think it was inspired by it, you know, and then other people were kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I want to quite say it. You know, they, they like to imagine that, um, the game has had that much of an impact. And I mean, you know, in rogue one, there's like a dozen KOTOR references in rogue one alone. If you like pop open the visual dictionary and like read the names and stuff, like there's like a general dustill something and like dustill is, uh, like Karth's son's name in KOTOR one. So there's like, all these weird little nods to KOTOR throughout um, Star Wars Rebels. I mean, people have talked about this to death by now, but uh, like Malachor and and kind of the the woman's voice in the holocron that Ezra finds. Like Dave Filoni was like on stage at Celebration and he's like, you know, I know whose voice that is, but I don't think Story Group wants me to say that yet, you know. And uh, people basically assume that he means Kreia from KOTOR 2. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he basically all but confirmed that, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, that's fun. You know, I love that stuff. Um, cause yeah, those games mean a lot to people. And so, you know, people kind of head canon them as, you know, being as important as, uh, rebels or the last Jedi. And yeah, I'm kind of that way. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't... think, I think that that's kind of gotten to live on as long as it has, because it wasn't directly, retconned like everything that happened after return of the jedi has been yeah yeah it's so distant in the past like it's four thousand years ago and now high republic we haven't touched it yet (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's like you know like why shouldn't we just kind of uh keep it in our heads as as canon if we want to and and i think they'll pick and choose you know i mean um they've talked about like ricotta prime or lahan in some of the canon stuff i think i think in resistance there's like a ton of little Easter eggs and resistance that kind of point to KOTOR one and two. Um, yeah. Claudia Gray put a South Cath Jedi in a master and apprentice. And it's like that one little Easter egg just made me more happy than I care to admit. You know, <laughs> she said a cell Cath in the Jedi temple, you know, it's like, um, you know, cause probably, you know, she knows how much the game means to people. Probably she's a fan. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those things where a bunch of geeks who love Star Wars, you know, took a stab at it and they did a really, really killer job, you know, like Dave Filoni or Ryan Johnson or, uh, you know, Jody Hauser's done like a bunch of comics that are just like mind blowingly good. Um, you know, Claudia Gray's bloodline. Like, I think 
Charles Soule, uh, really recently, you know, a lot of those people, they, you know, um, you can tell who kind of really cares about like, um, adding something new, like new twists Uh on like familiar characters and, and having it feel right. You know, like Obi-Wan, like young Obi-Wan and master apprentice is like, he's kind of a prick sometimes at first, you know, like in a way that is a nice, like contrast to Qui-Gon. And so therefore that creates this tension where, okay, we see how Anakin, this, you know, very complex figure who becomes Darth Vader, you know, how he made Obi-Wan a better man and and Qui-Gon made Obi-Wan a better man and how we get to, you know, the sort of uh, James Arnold Taylor Obi-Wan and, and the, you know, all the various Obi-Wans now. Um, But yeah. I think, I think you could also see the, like the parallels just between the master apprentice relationship that they, a lot of people had in that Jedi era. Yeah. Yeah, just how, like, the apprentice relationship works. and Yeah, because he was very similar to Anakin, actually, as an apprentice. Oh, right. Yeah, that's another huge thing going on there, of course. Yeah, where it's like Obi-Wan was once that kind of whiny punk kid, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I just love. I, I'm a huge Obi-Wan fan, so to kind of uh, make him less perfect is is really appealing to me to kind of show, like, you know, you know, he was once like that, that, that whiny Anakin kid or, you know. I mean, he um, had a lot of the same weaknesses. We kind of got a glimpse of that when we met Satine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. He wasn't immune to, to the Jedi codes, like sort of forbidden fruit, right? Like he, uh, you know, he wanted human connection and things. And um, I don't know. I'm like rewatching Breaking Bad right now. And I'm just obsessed with like Jesse Pinkman's arc and, and, uh, you know, I like that he was a screw up like meth cook who uh, used really insensitive language and was like a total disappointment to everyone around him and then kind of ends up where he does. And like El Camino, like, I don't know, a story like that is really appealing to me in the way that like the, you know, the Ben Solo arc mm-hmm. was. And, you know, I don't know. I think that's that's fun to see, uh, you know, people kind of grow instead of just kind of staying the same um you know which is i you know qui-gon i think people like qui-gon because he is sort of that that jedi who we see him as inherently good and and like trying to do the right thing the way like a, a ray or a you know young anakin or um like all the amazing characters in star wars you know they're trying to do the right thing you know mando um you know um but but not always being perfect and and not always being able to follow the rules to get there you know like institutions and laws don't always equal like moral righteousness and and uh i think the more star wars plays with that like the better it winds up being the last jedi is great for that Mm -hmm. you mentioned that uh, a lot of the themes from kotor and like similarities with the concept art and just the overall vibe that you're getting is, is very similar in, and project luminous and the high Republic. Yeah. So, um, in, in like the documentary and some of the interview material that's come out, I mean, it's all kind of a blur in my head at this point, but you know, they've said like our, our guiding light for the project luminous was, you know, for a thousand, over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights are the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic, you know, from the 1977, a new hope, you know, Obi-Wan. And that quote is also basically what they used for, 
uh, KOTOR, you know, I mean, the inspirations are the same. They, they just happen to be playing in, uh, different continuities, different spots on the timeline, but it's basically that same idea that, um, most star Wars stories, um, have the Jedi either being sort of corrupt by the clone wars, you know, sort of like not being their best selves or, um, or basically near extinct, like, you know, Ahsoka and Ray and Luke, you know, are kind of like the three Jedi who are alive at various points, you know? Mm-hmm. It, well, I guess now that we've got that complicated with uh, Ezra and um, uh, Cal from Fallen Order, mm-hmm. and you know, we keep adding more Jedi. <laughs> you know, Ray is the last Jedi uh, out of the uh, the thirty seven last Jedi, I guess. But uh, um, but yeah, so it's like you know, in Episode Two, we saw all those those Jedi fighting at the Battle of Geonosis, and like mm-hmm. that was that was pretty mind blowing when I was like a 12 year old kid in the movie theater. And I think like KOTOR was a chance to kind of play around with that idea too. Um, and yeah, the high Republic, it's just history repeating itself. It's just, Hey, let's do that. Knights of the Republic thing again, you know, go way back. And we're in a period that's like uncharted territory. We've got unlimited Jedi. We've got no real kind of, um, you know, like, like there's no real obligation to tell, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, um, they could throw young, young Yoda in there if they wanted to, but you know, that's about it. Otherwise it's like, it's a wide open frontier. So a blank canvas, um, you know, like people joked around that the whiteboard had like, you know, dinosaurs written on there and you can throw dinosaurs in there and, I mean, you know, that doesn't feel weird for Star Wars anyway, because Star Wars is kind of you can do almost anything if it's if it's like weird enough and bold enough. You know, you can throw it into Star Wars. Um, I was really happy to see Grey Jedi on that board. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was another big thing that, you know, people thought maybe going into episode nine or even episode eight that like Grey Jedi was going to be a thing in the. I mean, the trailers with Luke, it totally made it seem like it. I was teased. <laughs> oh, The Last Jedi, the first teaser? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, Time for the Jedi to End. That was like a big moment with the trailers of the sequel trilogy. It was like, what the, what's he talking about? What's he going to do? Oh, my God, you know. And I think uh, I actually yelled out. I was like, yes, Grey Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, again, Grey Jedi, that's a thing that kind of comes up in KOTOR a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think I think a lot of these people who are sort of playing in the High Republic sandbox, um, you know, Kavan Scott, um, I hope I'm saying his name right, Kavan or Kavan, uh, maybe it's Kavan Scott. Uh, anyway, apologies. I Kavan, uh, but... Uh, apologies. I, was... <laughs> I love his Dooku books so much, but I'm butchering his name. Um uh, you know, he, you know, he's a big fan of like reading the old legends books and, you know, he's been reading like the Darth Bane stuff, you know, tweeting about, you Darth know, he Bane is my favorite. Me. Yeah. Path of destruction. That first book is like, if people ask me like, what are your favorite star Wars novels? That would be, you mm-hmm. know, top three at least, you know, that, that trilogy is always at the top of my list. It was amazing. Yeah. 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 I, I, my, my memory of the second book is a little fuzzy at this point, but I love the way the third book sort of wrapped up with that kind of like, uh, you know, the top spinning at the end of inception, right? Like, um, 
I, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, the, just kind of how it was like, like the hand twitch at the end of the novel, like the, the trilogy concludes with this sort of like, you know, what if little tease of, uh, you know, is he gone completely or, you know, or whatnot, but, uh, I wish we'd gotten the chance for them to follow up more, especially with Xana. Cause I loved her character. Yeah. 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 So it was, uh, yeah. Darth Xana was, was the main apprentice who, who ended up living at the end. Yeah. She was incredible. Um, yeah, that, there was so much good stuff in that trilogy. Um, I don't it, know, was, for... it was cool to see how they went from being very similar to the Jedi with their own like academies and things to kind of their their infighting. And then he just he swooped in like like a third party during a civil war and just decimated both sides. Yeah, like Path of Destruction, like the first book in that trilogy, like he takes care to kind of describe the politics of like the what the brotherhood of darkness and then the something of light or whatever the hell the Jedi army is called, you know, and, and they're basically the same, you know, there's not really a lot of uh, difference other than, you know, the Sith doctrine or whatever being what it is. But uh, yeah. And then he's like, he finds the holocron of, uh, you know, Revan and, and kind of that, that mm-hmm. the seed of, of the, the idea of the rule of two, which is kind of like, canon is kind of shying away from now i guess because you got like all these characters and they just want to not limit themselves maybe but um yeah that was like a a much bigger deal a decade ago 15 20 years ago yeah um yeah yeah i think the high republic uh, you know it's exciting as long as they don't play it safe and they they take risks um so far i'm like really optimistic and it's like you know, the thing I'm looking forward to the most from Star Wars right now is like um, Scott's Marvel High Republic comic series and also um, probably like, you know, Charles's novel um, that's mm-hmm. kicking the whole thing off, like Light of the Jedi or whatever. Um, that looks that sounds exciting, too. Yeah, Claudia Gray, I'm I'm very excited to see what she's doing. Um, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely read whatever she writes. Yeah. Yeah. She's doing the, the YA novel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll buy that one too. hundred percent. Yeah. It, it seemed to me when I was, when I was watching all the information come out and looking at the concept art, which there's like this, there's this one girl that like I caught my, caught my eye on. She, the, the, it makes her look like a, like a witch or like an herbalist or druid or something like that. Uh, She has these big, like, like monster dog creatures next to her. Oh, cool. cool it was, kinda. it was the coolest thing. And sort of like a mage or something like some kind of D and D character. Yeah. Summon. And so when they said King Arthur was like, yeah, the, like these are like the Knights of the round table. I was like, I am, I'm all in for this. Cause I can't wait to see what they do with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all in favor of star Wars, like leaning into kind of the like weird mythic stuff and, and yeah, you know, just the, the whole night concept. Yeah. If you mix like the Jedi and the high Republic with this kind of medieval knighthood code type of thing and, and these like the Nihil, which which might be, I guess it's Nile. The H is kind of silent. Uh, 
Nile. And we don't really know much about them yet. It's, it's pretty mysterious. But they could be like rogue force users. They could just be, you know, these pirates. But it's really interesting to kind of put those two things together. Like pirates and knights. Yeah, like in the Art of the Force Awakens, it basically says that before they went with the whole First Order concept, they were basically like, you know, thinking about bounty hunters, uh, mercenaries, like pirates, like space pirates, you know, uh, to kind of connect like, you know, grizzled old Han Solo to like the future of the Jedi. You know, they were, they had this pirates concept and it feels like maybe they're salvaging that a little bit, but yeah, I like the idea that they have some kind of hidden like motivation more than that even. And maybe, you know, the Knights of Ren are still kind of mysterious, you know, even mm-hmm. after having read, having read the whole Kylo comic miniseries and, you know, having, you know, the, all the Tross like, um, reference material come out and stuff like they're still kind of <laughs> mysterious, right? So all of the. 45 seconds of screen time they got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they were in the movie, uh, you know, next to Claude for two seconds. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think that there's a chance that maybe, like, it's a similar concept. Like, this whole, um, you know, like, on the surface, maybe they're just, like, pir- pirates with, like, swords and stuff. But maybe there's, like, more to it, which... Uh, Obviously, with the Knights of Ren, there's there's some like sort of dark side philosophy at play. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I could see that coming into into play with the Nile and the whole High Republic thing. I mean, I think I can't remember the exact wording that they use, but I mean, I just really closely examined those bulletin boards that they had, and one of them they had chaos agents and ah. something about. Uh, force users non-affiliated force users or something like that i can't remember what words they used but it definitely implied that there could be a fringe force using group in the Mm. high republic era well like logically i don't think that the sith would be around and visible at this point in in the chronology and also like scott his his question that was like this inspiration was like what are the jedi afraid of well they're called the jedi order so when you mention the agents of chaos that kind of says it all right like like if the jedi want order and tranquility then you know these sort of uh you know um biker gangs coming into town you know like the hell's angels of of star wars would kind of be the the opposite of that you know so i don't know um I mean, they're literally nihilists and like anarchists, yeah, and yeah. that's that is basically everything that the Jedi hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's been kind of cracking the uh, the big Lebowski jokes about you know the you know he's a nihilist or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, Star Wars is usually pretty on the nose with kind of naming. I mean, you know, G- <laughs> General Grievous and, you know, <laughs> Savage Opress and stuff, you know, I they're mean, not subtle. Darth these Sidious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not Insidious exactly. at all. Yeah, exactly. All that stuff that's just kind of like on the nose, you know, it's like a very George Lucas thing to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the Nile are just like not Sith, but, you know, antithetical to Jedi, you know. You know, I mean, Palpatine says like, you know, Jedi and Sith, you know, aren't that different, right, to Anakin. And so maybe, you know, 
maybe the Nile are a contrast to that idea to be like, you know, he's right. You know, I don't know. I guess any chance you can, you can make Palpatine right about something is a, a fun, creative challenge. I, I don't know what they're doing, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think that, I don't think people have grasped that like these are not supposed to be the same Jedi that we see in the prequels. Like these are the Jedi in their prime. Like when we yeah. saw them, they were kind of they were almost like hermits at that point before the war. They'd isolated themselves off from everyone. But that was like almost it was it was kind of juxtaposed with like Eastern spiritualism and monks and that kind of spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. But here it seems like they are like active like knights and protectors like like you yeah. would read about. Yeah, like and crusader types or, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, because um, they said that uh, this is when the first hyperspace lanes are being created. So it could mm-hmm. be almost like a like a Jedi colonization type of thing. Like yeah. they're trying to go out everywhere. Well, there's this whole, um, I mean, they're being vague about it, but it's like something happens where that sets this all into motion. This like where the, you know, all is suddenly not right with the galaxy. And, and I think it has to do with that, that tower that's in the center of the Jedi temple, you know, that we see, is on the space station. I, they have a name for it already, I think, but I, I can't recall what it is. Like sort mm-hmm. of like a, a beacon or a lighthouse type of deal that, you know, again, like they're, they're vague with the marketing. So I'm not exactly sure what the, yeah. the what it is, but probably has something to do with like the Jedi finding each other and, and like knowing how to get home or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I think that, it's it's going to be fun to see like what they do that's different that kind of uh you know builds on the whole the whole Jedi legend cuz it's like yeah basically the phantom menace is like the republic is already in decline you know it's like um you know Sidious is like a symptom of like the the larger you know uh what what like the forces of like capitalism and thing you know like the trade federation like these sort of you know, grubby, like bureaucrats and, and, uh, you know, um, the dogs of war, so to speak, like, you know, Mm -hmm. um, military industrial complex that last Jedi kind of explores. It seems like this is supposed to be a more honorable time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like a more, yeah. Like Arthurian and kind of like idealized and some people that for some people that will be a big, like kind of, uh, you know, they won't be interested in it, you know, but I think if they do it right, like it could surprise people and it, it could feel, feel different in a way that, yeah, like Knights of the Republic did, you know, um, like a mix of very new with very familiar, you know, mm-hmm. familiar themes, but, but also, you know, very fresh. And, and that's what, that's what Star Wars needs to do to, to be good. I think is, you know, when it does things like fall in order, or, you know, Rebels, you know, um, a lot of the comics just kind of, kind of go off and, and draw from, from various like influences that are outside of Star Wars rather than just kind of, you know, uh, you know, having the shot from, you know, like, oh, this is from the space battle from the Phantom Menace. So we're going to throw it in the Clone Wars and kind of wink at the audience. Like, 
you know, that's good in like a micro uh, scale, but you don't want to like make every story just like, <laughs> you know, Oh, this reminds me of that thing from attack of the clones. Cool. You know, um, going to like myth and, and movies like, you know, Charles soul, like went and, you know, his pitch for the, the Kylo comic, like the origin comic, like he borrowed from like Indiana Jones and the, the last crusade and stuff like that. So, um, I think it's cool anytime they do stuff like that where they're riffing on things outside of outside of Star Wars. I think that's how you get really good stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh do you have time to talk about Mandalorian Clone Wars a little bit? Yeah. Um probably more I'm I'm like more Mandalorian, I think. Like at the moment. Like I, I've I'm really I've been just watching the new clone wars has been it's been a while since i've seen like the uh, most of the old seasons other than like my favorite little bits that i rewatched more recently but but yeah though for sure okay so you are on uh mandalorian podcast on the what the force i guess you can call it a network now that they have different podcasts <laughs> yeah um I see. It's uh, it's called Once Upon a Time in the Outer Rim. Yeah, yeah. Marie Claire basically asked me to do sort of like a recap um, podcast for the season one of The Mandalorian. And, uh, you know, we, we looked at it through like a lens of like mythology, but also like, you know, spaghetti westerns and various things like that. And um, we had a lot of fun. You know, we, we kind of uh, we tried to do something that wasn't what everybody else was doing, you know, it's easy to just kind of, uh, recap the episode, not easy, but you know, you could just recap the episode and then speculate what's going to happen in the next one. And you know, that's a great way to like consume a show that you're enjoying. But like, we also tried to kind of think like, you know, what, what like mythology, you know, mythology are they looking at and trying to like, um, you know, use for, you know, um, things like the armor, like, you know, uh, there's a lot of sort of very like subtle things happening in that show with, uh, you know, baby Yoda and, and sort of going into the Mando's like psyche and like these flashes of his past. And, um, you know, it's not like a really dialogue heavy show. It's like a lot of sort of imagery that, you know, my three-year-old can watch the Mandalorian and kind of get something out of it. Right. Um, besides baby Yoda being adorable, it's like, hmm. you know, it's like this, this night on a quest. And there's also layers upon layers of like, you know, sort of George Lucas and, and a new hope and, and Darth Vader and kind of like all this weird stuff happening. And, um, I think some of it's very deliberate because they, they kept doing it, you know, like, um, this idea of, you know, the Mandalorian being constantly behind a mask in an armor that has like sort of machinery underneath it. And, um, you know, I mean, that was like the sort of central, um, you know, the original trilogy to me is very much about, you know, Darth Vader is horrifying to me because he's, he's like the man who became the machine and, and, you know, um, you know, when I, I think when you're a kid watching return of the Jedi and that mask comes off, and, and you're like, oh, it's like a, a frightened old guy, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
you know, it's shocking. Like you, you think he's like this scary, scary robot monster or something. I don't know. I don't know what I thought he looked like. It, uh, you know, yeah, but really... it wasn't that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and I think that, uh, they do a lot of very subtle things that, you know, they look at Mando the same way. Like, you know, is he becoming a machine or is he actually, you know, soft and squishy on the inside or, you know, <laughs> you know, he's very distrusting of machines. You know, he's, he, he's afraid of machines because of, mm-hmm. uh, the, the clone wars and whatnot. And, um, and of course, yeah, IG 11 and so forth. So, I mean, they, they do some really cool stuff kind of unpacking like the meat and potatoes of what star Wars is in the context of the Mandalorian. And it, it feels fresh and accessible and anybody can like sort of watch it, you know, the way fallen order did. Right. But it's, uh, yeah. it's very much like star Wars, you know, the way a new hope is star Wars. So, I mean, I think that, I think that the, the Western influence, like, like cowboys and things like that, I don't think that that influence on Star Wars has been appreciated that much. We kind of, we look at, you know, like the sci-fi part, but Western was a really big influence on it. Yeah. I mean, to me, um, one of my favorite films is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, you know, that I discovered when I was like 14, 15, you know, very impressionable age. Um, And a lot of those those guys like George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and Scorsese and Brian De Palma and Francis Ford Coppola, those guys who kind of like, um, were sort of the, the anti Hollywood, the, the, the sort of post countercultural filmmakers, uh, you know, um, that, that sort of made star Wars and made jaws and so, and so forth, you know, um, they come from that sort of easy writer, um, background that's sort of like, let's go outside the Hollywood system and make this really like edgy, you know, cowboy movie, you know, hippie movie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, you know, star Wars in some ways is that, that cowboy hippie movie, um, like easy rider. And, uh, you know, um, I, don't, I can't remember who it was like somebody, one of the, uh, like some female vocalist or celebrity, was like in the audience in 1977, like watching star Wars, their friend. And, and she like leaned, you know, over and famously like whispered in, in somebody's ear, like when Han Solo showed up on the screen, she goes, you know, that's my pot dealer. You know, I mean, these, <laughs> the, you know, the, it was a very, it was like sort of, a, um, you know, I mean, Harrison Ford was like a carpenter, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Carrie, Carrie Fisher was like sort of uh semi Hollywood royalty, but, um, I mean, Mark Hamill and all these people were mostly just just nobodies at the time. And um, George Lucas was pretty much next to nobody, you know, sort of, you know, as much of a nobody as like Ryan Johnson or even more so um, at the time that he was hired, you know. Um, uh, And so, you know, it was bold and all those guys were influenced by. Um, like John Ford Westerns, Sergio Leone Westerns. I think like a lot of Star Wars fans kind of are aware of that, but they maybe haven't gone back and actually seen some of it, um, you know, and just seen how much of it feels like so familiar. I mean, if you watch like The Searchers or The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly or uh, Once Upon a Time in the West or Fistful Mm -hmm. of Dollars, like, like I think people 
I mean, sure, there are like plenty of Star Wars fans who have seen those movies because they, you know, for one reason or another. But um, it's always shocking to like to fire up one of those movies and just see kind of, you know, you don't get the Han shooting Greedo. You don't get that scene without, you know, Westerns and how much they meant Mm -hmm. to like George and Spielberg and, and people when they were like kids, basically the way that, you know, Star Wars was for us. So, yeah. And I uh, thought that the Mandalorian was a good, a good continuation of that, um, especially because mm-hmm. it was a little bit subversive in the sense that we don't usually think of the bounty hunters as like the good guys, the honorable guys, like the moral person, but that's what they gave us with the Mandalorian. Yeah, you know, like it was sort of. Um... I don't want to say it was marketed a certain way, but like the assumption that a lot of people had was like, oh, this is the gritty scum and villainy Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And and maybe that's what how Mando feels about himself. But I mean, that's not who he is. Certainly it's like, you know, he's very much like the hero on the hero's journey, you know, um, doing like the sort of it's a very sort of Ray kind of journey, like, um, you know, sort of like a lone sort of orphan hero going on a journey, but also like carrying the burden of, uh, you know, in Ray's case, like the Jedi legacy, but in, in Mando's case, you know, like the, his people, you know, the people who kind of adopted him and so forth. And, um, also just the idea of like standing up and building something from like the sort of ashes of, of empire and colonialism and all that stuff. Right. Like, you know, it's like the empire, it's technically gone, but you have people like Moff Gideon and, and so forth who, you know, um, yeah, these or, isolated cells or Herzog's character or whatever, you know, the client, you know, these people who, uh, they miss the good old days of, uh, you know, <laughs> tyranny and, and, uh, really awful things. And, and that's the thing that happens in history. I mean, um, you know, talking about Westerns or talking about war movies. I mean, all these things that we love and are nostalgic. I'm a big like Fallout fan, Fallout 4. But if you like really interrogate some of the implications of that, it's like we're looking at the past and saying, man, it was it was great in such and such a time. And then and then someone whose ancestors were slaves at that time will be like, well, hold up. Uh, I don't know the I completely agree because this, this, and this. And, um, so it's like the interesting thing about like, you know, nostalgia and, uh, you know, that whole kind of tension that star Wars has with like, you know, empire and rebellion. That's like a, throughout history, that process never stops. We're always like, you know, heroes are the people who try to, you know, crack their way out of the system and, and break it and, and make it slightly better. And hopefully, you know, like that, that's just a thing that is an ongoing process throughout history. And, um, people are always fighting for, for, you know, a better world and rights. And, you know, sometimes things are going better than other times. And, uh, I think, you know, for a lot of people, that's the appeal of star Wars, probably, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, um, when Carrie Fisher passed away, it was like a lot of the sort of tribute around that, you know, was sort of that, that, you know, rebel rebel kind of, uh, you know, David Bowie mentality of like, um, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, she became just a feminist icon. Yeah. Sort of like that, that's sort of like iconoclast, you know, that idea of, um, you know, 
screw your gender norms, screw your kind of, uh, you know, like the status quo, like it, that, that's never, that never goes away. Like, you know, yesterday's, uh, rebels and hippies are like tomorrow's, you know, oppressors in the right circumstances. So it's like, uh, you know, star Wars wrestles with that. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I've gone I've gone on quite the tangent there, but uh No, no, you're fine. I love <laughs> I don't know, it. <laughs> don't know how I don't know how I got here, but uh yeah. I, I think that that's one of the reasons like like Star Wars just keeps going is because you can kinda get you can view it through so themes. many lenses. Yeah. Yeah. Like Westerns they're you know, they're pop culture more than their history. Like they, they traffic yeah. in like historical iconography, but I mean, you know, um is the good, the bad, and the ugly a good representation of the Civil War? Probably not. I don't know. But, um, yeah. So Star Wars kind of adds another filter to that of, like, you know, ray guns and spaceships and whatnot. Yeah. And it's interesting because in this case, you know, this this bounty hunter who is basically trained to not have human contact. You know, he always has this wall, this helmet on. He's supposed to be this hyper-masculine figure that, you know, everyone was expecting from the marketing, this ruthless person. Mm -hmm. Like a Boba Fett type deal, yeah. Yeah, and you can tell that he, you know, he was. He did his job. Like, he was good at it. But he, it's almost, you know, whereas Han Solo struggled with finding, like, he struggled with fighting for, like, the big picture. Um, the Mandalorian seems to have more of an internal struggle with like feeling and just wanting to be like a good person and like caring about things. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's so many experiences that I haven't had personally, but I mean, he, he's sort of like, he's an adopted child of, of the Mandalorian culture and, um, you know, he's, he's sort of working within this mercenary, you know, blood for gold kind of trade. But that, that gold, so to speak, is to, to make a better life, like to rebuild his people who have been mm-hmm. kind of, you know, shattered by the empire or whatever, uh, John Favreau's character says, you know, um, you know, there's sort of a, a broken, you know, fringe culture now. And so, so yeah, all his like motivations are noble. Um, I mean, to go on another sort of genre tangent or fandom tangent, you know, like I'm a big fan of like crime movies, like crime dramas, crime epics. And, um, you know, you look at like James Caan's character in Thief, you know, trying to just make a better life for him and the woman he loves and try to adopt a kid. Or, you know, you look at, um, you know, Walter White and or, you know, the Breaking Bad universe, you know, they're like you know, the world is not fair. So therefore sometimes we have to like, you know, cook meth in an RV or whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's, you know, how I spend my time. So, to, you know, to, <laughs> no, uh, to, to, to do the, the thing that's right or whatever to, yeah. uh, you know, obviously like, you know, motivations are sometimes tricky and complex, but, uh, yeah, we kind of learned that the Mandalorian is not, you know, he's not mercenary and just like Han Solo is not a mercenary. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that before I saw movies like the force awakens and solo, you know, I don't think that I really thought 
that highly of Han Solo as like a man, you know, I didn't really think of him as like this model guy who, who should have a, a, a son and, you know, like, um, but I don't think see, he did either. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you see a movie like solo and then it's, you kind of, you kind of see the Kira point of view, like you're the good guy. And, and, uh, so, you know, a new hope from 1977, suddenly you watch it in a different light because they've kind of, shown you that journey and it makes you appreciate it more and um yeah i think the disney era of star wars uh that's one thing they've done you know above all else is they've made you kind of um you know complicate the history of these these beloved characters like han and leia you know um who i mean i i liked those characters before but you know, I watched Star Wars kind of for like Luke and Vader for many years and, and now I watch it and, uh, you know, Han and Leia mean so much more to me because, you know, they had a kid who was kind of a screw up and, uh, apparently killed some villagers. Uh, so people claim, but, uh, <laughs> no, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that about, you know, how things have, how things have gone. And I, I hope that they, as they move off into different directions, like the high Republic and stuff, like I hope we don't completely lose the sort of like legacy feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do want to touch on quickly the last arc of the clone wars, since it just finished, I want to sure. talk about it. Um, what, what were your thoughts on echo and the bad batch and, you know, the Separatist planet, um, well, the the Separatists on what was his home planet, but also had the small, like, native alien population. You know, like, I'm not the first audience for, like, sort of clone trooper arcs, but I will say that um, going back to early Clone Wars and going back to Attack of the Clones especially, um, you know, if you ask me, like, who, who are your favorite, like, background characters in Star Wars – like Watt Tambor is like high on the list of like characters that I just inexplicably love. You know? Really? <laughs> that really goofy shit like that, you know, um, you know, the techno union army is at your disposal count, you know, like just that cheesy kind of, I don't know. He's sort of got like a diesel punk Bioshock aesthetic to him. Mm. Uh, that Skako minor is kind of like that sort of weird kind of, uh, you know, fallout Bioshock kind of, um, vibe i i really like stuff like that i think admiral trench is like amazing like uh i mean he's like a talking cyborg tarantula um that's just it's something wow <laughs> wow god i love him you know he's like he's like you know claude i mean i just want to give him a hug uh with all eight of his arms you know so which are robotic but um yeah i mean like i really i think that i I sort of like bought into the whole echoes echoes journey more than like the, the regular sort of bad batch guys. I mean, the bad batch mm-hmm. guys were cool and yeah, like I saw sort of like the pop culture uh, parallels and stuff, but I, I think that just the Rex kind of believing that his friend is still out there somewhere and needing to go, you know, try to get him back. And then when his sort of faith is actually rewarded and echo is out there and, um, you know, there's like that hint that maybe he's like not trustworthy. Maybe he's like evil. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that was fun. That was a good little cliffhanger. And, 
yeah, it felt good to have like a happy ending in Star Wars, you know, even though it was kind of like bittersweet that he kind of goes off, you know, the way he does. Um, sorry, I'm just spoiling everything if people haven't watched this, but uh, yeah, no, I, I really, I dug it. You've been keeping it pretty spoiler free, I thought. Really? Okay, good, good, good. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't usually go back and rewatch like clone trooper arcs from the clone wars that much. And, uh, but this is one that I, I really, really liked. Um, cause it was, you know, it was weird and, and unique and yeah. I know a lot of people had seen the, the, some of the stuff in the past, like in 2015, they spoiled a bunch of it with like, you know, previous footage, but I watched all of that stuff when it came out and I don't remember a thing. Oh yeah. So it was like watching it for the first time for me. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I I haven't really gone back and looked at, um, that sort of what might've been footage very much except for like, you know, when I was writing about the Darth Revan footage that got cut, but, Mm. um, yeah, it's kind of cool that like some fans have kind of known about this stuff for a long time, but, um, I was I have... a latecomer to to Clone Wars, actually. Oh, when did you start watching it? What season? I mean, so so I saw like the Darth Maul stuff when that hit DVD back. Okay, I saw the movie in 08 and was mm-hmm. like, shrug. Okay, I don't really get it. Like, I didn't appreciate it at the time. Um, you know, I have to say, you know, being like a sort of Revenge of the Sith, Old Republic type fan, you know, like <laughs> I wanted like gritty, dark stuff. And instead it was like, you know, very campy George Lucas um a little job of the hut baby yeah 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 you know it was like a lot to kind of swallow at the time and then like uh Darth Maul came out like Darth Maul returns on DVD I bought that and loved it um you know or mostly loved it and then um I really like I just never really saw myself as a Clone Wars fan until Rebels started coming out and I was like, okay, so really? now I, I really need to go back and watch the Clone Wars and kind of eat my vegetables, you know, <laughs> or that, take my vitamins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like 2014 is when I kind of went back 2014, 2015 and watched like Clone Wars for the first time. So and, uh, do you like Rebels more? Um, I think I would say it's like complicated, but I think overall, yeah, I think overall I like Rebels more and I know that like a lot of people will hate hearing that, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate Rebels, but I could just never get into it. I don't know why. I guess it was just too many, too many characters that I had no emotional connection to. Yeah. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't just dive right in and start like it was it was like a completely different franchise to me almost. It wasn't until, you know, Ahsoka and like Maul and all this stuff started getting incorporated back in that I was like, okay, I can watch this. I like this. But that took a while. Yeah, I think, you know, season two or whatever, when Maul showed up, I think that was when I really sort of, um, you know, it sort of became like, okay, I'm a rebels fan for sure. Um, you know, it was a little like touch and go before that. Um, I think that the best of the clone wars is much better than the best of rebels as far as like Mm -hmm. when, when they really go for it with like Mortis and Darth Maul and, uh, sort of like the season five stuff with like, you know, um, Obi-Wan and, and, and Satine and the sort of tragic, you know, the, the Mandalore, uh, battle and, and 
all, all the kind of weird uh, spiritual stuff in like the lost missions with like Yoda and Qui-Gon. Um, you know, I'm really a fan of all that. But just like if I'm going to like watch one series start to finish, I think Rebels would be like my pick. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel kind of like resistance was kind of that way too. I just immediately loved resistance in a way that I, I did too. Clone Wars, you know, it was very I easy to too. get into it. I, well, I, I watched the entire first season of resistance in like two days when I was home with my concussion. So oh, ouch. Yeah. yeah it's so, really easy to just kind of go along with that show and just kind mm-hmm. of enjoy those characters. And it was just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah, I don't mind having just, you know, plain fun Star Wars content sometimes. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, but I was a huge fan of The Clone Wars. I I watched it, you know, every week. I had a notebook where I wrote down the quote of the week, um, you know, at the beginning of each episode. I wrote to Lucasfilm when they canceled it. I was like <laughs> very, very into it. So I've been enjoying these episodes. Yeah. Um, but I, I purposely haven't looked back at, you know, even though I have that Blu-ray set, haven't looked back at that old footage because I, I just want to enjoy it uh, for what it is and not, not spoil myself beforehand. Yeah. I, I think that any new kind of Darth Maul content, Ahsoka Tano content, you know, Obi-Wan, like all that stuff is just such a gift and like any kind of, um, you know, and, and like, I think that it's, it's stuff that George had input on before he sold the company, you know, it like, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's been a really strong four episodes so far. So, I mean, once we get to more of the kind of, uh, revenge of the Sith type, type stuff that's gonna be a treat oh, i mean it's gonna get intense yeah yeah it's gonna get pretty pretty dark i think but uh yeah i'm excited yeah um a couple fun questions before i let you go sure what is your favorite part about the star wars fandom about the star wars fandom in general huh i mean i had never been to celebration before um until 2019 and so Um, I was, I was like working, but I also, you know, at nighttime, you know, I would go to the, the Congress hotel bar and and meet up with people like, um, you know, Brandon from talking Bay 94, Marie Claire from, you know, uh, what the fourth, you know, these people whose podcasts I listen to and, you know, kind of just hang out and talk about star Wars and, uh, just met all kinds of different people. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that that was like a really special you know, experience, um, just kind of walking around and seeing all that, that art, you know, at the sort of art area and celebration, um, on the convention floor, um, you know, witnessing some of those panels was, was really fun. Uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was a novel experience for me. Like I hadn't really, I've been to, you know, a couple of conventions, you know, as far as like big conventions. So, um, yeah, that's the only celebration I've ever been to. And, you know, getting to do some interviews for StarWars.com and, and kind of cover some of the panels. I mean, that was just such a great time. And, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I like doing some of these podcasts, like when my book came out, like about a year ago, and getting to kind of guest on a bunch of Star Wars podcasts and just kind of meet new people. And um, you know, I, I I log on to Twitter every day, and you know, like what do I look for? I look for like fan art. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think I, you know if, if Twitter's good in any way, it's you know it's good for the kind of democratization of like being able to just kind of post drawings and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, people share their fan fics and stuff. And you've um, been working on some fan fiction. Well, you know, I wrote like one tiny little 500 word thing that, <laughs> that people, people were very kind to me about. And that was like, so heartwarming. And like, I, uh, I was like, wow, I want to do this more. And, and I did outline like sort of an episode nine, like, you know, what would I have done if I was going to write episode nine? I started writing it, but I just, uh, I don't know. I didn't really have like the, it was kind of hard to think about for a while, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to think about like Ben Solo and understandable. And just, I, you know, I don't know. It was like, I, it was the wrong time. Like I couldn't just dive right into that. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I wrote like a little 500 word kind of coda to episode nine, like the, you know, sort of canon compliant, uh, you know, what would Ben say to Ray, you know, after that movie rolled credits and, um, yeah, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if I even like it, but people were very, very kind to me and said a lot of nice things and, uh, you know, said that it helped them heal. And it like, I don't know, that's an experience that, uh, is new to me. And, and I think that it's given me an appreciation for, for, you know, all these, you know, fans who are out there, uh, you know, really working their asses off to write all this amazing free content, you know, sort of whether it's, you know, canon like, or whether it's, you know, in some wacky modern, you know, real world alternate universe where, you know, uh, Ben Solo is like a, a businessman in LA or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, I think that, uh, the people writing that stuff are, are super talented and, you know, I've seen, a couple of the people that I follow be like, Oh, you know, um, an agent just requested like a full manuscript of that, you know, where they took like a, you know, some Raylo or, you know, storm pilot like fanfic and they, you know, filed mm-hmm. off the star Wars serial numbers and, and changed the names. And, uh, you know, they've, they've got agents and publishers like looking at those books now, like it, that's a weird thing that's, you know, I happening. Mean, and that's how 50 wow. shades of gray happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 50 shades. And then, uh, there's like that Netflix movie or something with like, there was like Harry Styles, uh, fanfic, I think at one point, yeah, like, like, like steamy, like, uh, Harry Styles fic. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's called like after, uh, it was like a Wattpad novel or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the all the power in the world to people who can be like, um, you know, I have a crush on this uh, fictional character. I'm going to write like a steamy fanfic story about it. And then they, you know, sell the movie rights and get rich off of it. Like, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Got to figure out how to do that. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. And yeah, yeah. I think E.L. James like like that Fifty Shades was just uh, <laughs> that was Edward and Bella tying each other up, I guess, at one point. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. But um, no, that I don't know. That's cool. I think that's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, no, there are so many talented people. So I agree. I think the fans are it, Star Wars attracts such unique fans that it's just it, it is unlike any other fandom that I've ever been a part of. 
Yeah. In some ways, it's like the only fandom I've ever been a part of. You know, I've always just, you know, I've been a fan of things, but like Star Wars has kind of made me feel, uh, you know, welcome in a, in a different way. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, just, yeah, the creativity and the, the different voices, like, you know, I, I learned something from, you know, these strangers on Twitter or strangers on a podcast, you know, um, I didn't really listen to podcasts for like many years. And then, uh, I think sky talkers had some episode title that was like appealing to me or, you know, and it's like, Oh, I want to check that out. And, um, you know, it's like, Oh, I learned a lot. I really like that was thought provoking and interesting and, and made me, you know, appreciate star Wars in a new light. And, um, yeah, I think that's yeah. amazing. I, I've been listening to podcasts since uh, I started in like 2009 or 2010. It's been a long oh, time wow. now. I was like at the very beginning when there was like one and then there was like two for a while. <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. there's so many. Yeah. Every week there's a new one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, people are just, it's amazing. Like the, the perspectives that they bring and often they're sort of riffing off of each other. Like they're saying like so-and-so had, you know, this comment, uh, which made me, you know, think of this and, and you get a whole kind of chain of, uh, you know, Star Wars meta going. And um, yeah, I mean, those people are, are awe inspiring. And, you know, I mean, there's there's fans who who predict, predicted like the whole kind of arc of the sequel trilogy or who, you yeah. know, have really like picked apart, you know, things like Vader Immortal, like the VR game in a in a way that you know, mainstream VR publications or video game publications, you know, they just, they would never be able to kind of make that content and, you know, um, have it be, you know, genuine and authoritative and get eyeballs on it in the way that like, you know, some fans on Tumblr or Twitter, you know, can pull off. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still really proud of the article that I did that predicted, you know, when Ben Solo was going to be redeemed and how that was going to be like, a oh, yeah. flip of the battle of the heroes. Oh yeah. 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 And that, that sort of death star duel ultimately, if it's similar to anything, it's really similar to battle of the heroes. Yeah. And it's sort of fire versus water and, mm-hmm. uh, yep. Yep. Good call. And then of course, like they sort of mirrored the, um, Han's death with sort of Ben's rebirth, I guess, like it was sort of like baptism type deal. Um, yeah. Yeah. The one thing about star Wars is like, um, it does have like its own kind of logic and language. So even, even if you want it to be risky and, and unpredictable, like there are certain things that make it what it is. And then, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So my last question is what, what makes you love star Wars? Like what makes you passionate about it? What does it mean to you? Oh uh, gosh. I mean, I know it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a yeah. big question. It's it's sort of it's like this weird contrast, right? Because um I'm like, well, I love Watt Tambor and Claude <laughs> and Admiral Trench and R2D2 and uh Porgs, you know, I love the Porgs. You know, I love all that sort of goofy shit, you know, Therm Scissor Punch, you know, the lobster at the table. Um, you know, but then there is the other side. There is sort of the the reason that you stick around, which is like the you know, sort of the, the, the experience of something like KOTOR or Empire Strikes Back and just kind of having this really 
over the top, dramatic, um, you know, these like mythic stories, um, you know, like, like George called it like a soap opera, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, Ben Solo is sort of like that, that kid, you know, that, that disappointed his parents, you know, that he's that sort of Jesse Pinkman character that, uh, you know, that, that, that young men, I guess they hope they survive and, 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 and grow out of, uh, you know, and, um, yeah, like, like I said, that made me appreciate like Han and Leia more. Um, I think that the last Jedi made me really appreciate Luke Skywalker's character in a new light. Um, you know, I, I think that anytime it can reinvent itself and feel, still like authentic and true and like reverent toward the source material, you know, like, um, things like Luke on the Falcon in last Jedi with, with R2 and, you know, him sort of using the hologram of like young Leia to kind of, uh, guilt him into helping or whatever, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Um, that feels to me as important as anything in like the original trilogy at this point. So, um, yeah, there's sort of this attitude of, among people who are kind of outside of star Wars fandom that like, you know, Oh, that's just sort of juvenile trash that has like some really crappy stuff in it. And just, you know, <laughs> how dare you still like that garbage? And I'm like, well, actually, uh, actually, man, I really like that stuff. And, uh, you know, when something comes along, like Claudia Gray's novel bloodline or Charles souls, various comic arcs or the last Jedi or rebels or mm-hmm. especially the Mandalorian, like, you know, damn the Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, like any, anytime something like that comes along, I can point to that and be like, well, did you see that? Like, you know, that's why I love it. Uh, you know, I, not that, you know, not that like some of the like lesser stuff, um, you know, um, I don't want to like give examples, but you know, just like, you know, when there's stuff that, that people point to and they're like, you know, the cheesy dialogue and attack of the clones. And I'm like, well, when I was, when I was younger, you know, a decade or two ago, you know, that was like my favorite movie. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was my favorite movie but, for a long time. Yeah. Attack of the clones was my favorite for many years, but, uh, you know, as an adult, I can, I can look at the last Jedi and be like, you know, how can you say that? that this stuff is just juvenile garbage when, you know, Ryan Johnson went and did that. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's a big, big messy universe, like the comic book world or, you know, video game lore or any of that stuff. I I'm sure like Lord of the Rings is probably the same way. I'm kind of like not really up on most of that, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of like discourse about like the Hobbit, trilogy of films that Mm -hmm. peter jackson did you know i think any of these stories when they they keep going and get big enough like you're gonna have like these sort of riffs in the fandom where they're like you know um (laughs) old testament new testament you know um Mm -hmm. or you know the prequel trilogy that never happened you know that kind of stuff and we're seeing that with like the disney era like you know (laughs) oh big time just say no to disney uh you know and uh I think it's, it's like infinitely more complex and messy than that. Like the point is, is like, you know, every story is its own little, you know, world, you know, it's own little universe and mm-hmm. capsule. And it's also in the same breath. It's part of this like big tapestry. And so, um, 
yeah, you know, I can look at something like the rise of Skywalker and walk out of that theater and be like, man, that really kind of disappointed me. And I, I'm really sad about (laughs) that character's death. And, uh, that was not the conclusion that I wanted, but then, you know, a couple months can go by and I'll be like, man, but that one scene meant the world to me, you know, and, or, um, you know, what they did with that one character was really special. And, uh, I thought that scene was really beautiful or, you know, I think John Williams made one of his best scores mm-hmm. of his career for this movie that I didn't, you know, really love as much. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that's the beauty of star Wars is it's an endless series of contradictions. Um, you know, uh, like we've been talking about it for a couple hours now and I just sort of sound like a raving lunatic because, uh, you know, that's what star Wars does to you. It's like, right. It's like this romantic passion in one hand and then kind of like, in the other, you're like, well, you know, it, it's like it is a space Western with some goofy aliens. And uh, both those things can be true. Like the, mm-hmm. you know, the it can be this myth of, you know, <laughs> our, our generation's great myth. And also like, you know, boy, the porgs are cute, you know. Does it always take itself too seriously? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like it's built in. And I mean, you see that happening with like the, the Marvel, the Marvel cinematic universe, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe, maybe it leans into a different direction, but, uh, yeah, I mean, 20th century pop culture is like a weird many headed beast. And, uh, I think star Wars is just part of that, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and for spending almost two hours talking to <laughs> yeah, me about so this. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm glad I did. Uh, where could everyone find you? Uh, mostly on Twitter at uh, Alex J. Kane or writing for various places uh, like you know Polygon or Games Radar, or, uh, Forbes or USA Today, things like that. Are you planning on doing season two of The Mandalorian on that podcast? Uh, we talked about it. We talked about it. I, I don't know how much I should, should say, but I, I think the general, I think we're leaning toward doing it. Um, so hopefully, hopefully. All right. Well, I will look forward to that. <laughs> thank, um, you. thank you again for coming on. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Celine Jade. And you can find the show on channel 1138 and on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter is at SW Starpiece. Bye.